We bring thanksgiving for the ways we are blessed. With gratitude we offer you our best. But as we pray with thankful hands, through gratitude we are blessed again. As we count our blessings and name each gift, our worries fade, our spirits live. For when our thanks to heaven we send, through gratitude we are blessed again. We bring thanks to please you, Lord, for that is what thanksgiving is for. But as our grateful prayers ascend, through gratitude we are blessed again. Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices who wondrous things has done in whom this world rejoices. From our mother's arms has blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. We bring thanksgiving for the ways we are blessed. With gratitude we offer you our best. But as we pray with thankful hands, through gratitude we are blessed again. We bring thanks to please you, Lord, for that is what thanksgiving is for. But as our grateful prayers ascend, through gratitude we are blessed again. We raise our songs with grateful hands, and through our worship we are blessed That was great. Well, Wednesday night we're going to have our Thanksgiving service. We're going to ask you to bring a, a verse that's been a blessing to you, and then we're going to ask you to give a word of personal testimony Wednesday night. So I hope you can come and be with us for that Thanksgiving service. Then on Thanksgiving Day, we're going to have a meal down in our fellowship hall. Bring some food. I like meat and potatoes. Uh, don't bring any asparagus. A lot of people have died that have eaten asparagus. So bring the meat and potatoes, and we're going to have a wonderful time together. 
Well, our text is Acts 16. If you have your Bible, Acts 16, beginning in verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened. And everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called out with a loud voice, Do yourself no harm, for we're all here. Then he called for a light and ran and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, What must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved, you and your household. I have spent most of my life with very religious people. Uh, I've been pastoring a long, long time, and uh, you know you hang around with folks uh, from the church during the week, and it's just been a wonderful, wonderful life for me, mostly uh, Baptist. I've been uh, Baptist most all of my life. Uh, I've also hung around with some Church of God people and some Presbyterians and some Methodists and uh, some other folks, and that's been a blessing too. I have heard the phrase so many times, I just grew up in the church. The title of my sermon this morning is Growing Up in the Church is Not Enough. Well, I have a good friend still today in Texas. He is an Episcopalian priest at a uh, church there in Dallas. Uh, he uses that phrase a lot. He says, you know, I just grew up in the church. But when he says it, when he uses that phrase, he means to say, that he has always been, from infancy to the present day, a Christian. I have a problem with that kind of thinking theologically. And he and I have talked about it, of course, and we smile and shake hands and uh, we're good friends and go on. People have religious differences. There's a whole lot of churches around here, and if you went to all of them, you would hear almost every kind of thing you could imagine. Uh, All sorts of people saying all sorts of different things. We think differently about some topics. Did you hear about the couple that went to counseling? Uh, It was a religious counselor, and he was talking to them, and they had talked for about an hour, and he thought, well, uh, do you all have any religious differences? And she said, uh, yes, we do. He thinks he's God, and I don't. (laughs) I do not believe that anyone is a Christian until they have had a faith encounter with a risen Savior. It is impossible for an infant to have a faith encounter with Jesus. It is impossible for a person with very, very low mental ability to have a personal encounter 
with Jesus. It is impossible for those that know nothing of the message of Jesus to really, understandably, uh, take a stand for Christ. Now, it doesn't take long. You know, the Holy Spirit works and deals with the hearts of men and women, and, and of course, uh, they can come to a service not knowing hardly anything and be saved as the Holy Spirit reaches out and touches their lives. Well, I do believe that small children, babies, small children, people with an IQ of, say, lower than 50, uh, if they die, I believe they are cared for in the loving arms of Jesus. Those people never reach the age of accountability, and they are taken by our Lord to be with him forever in heaven. If you were to take all of the supposedly religious people in our area, say 10 miles in every direction, and you were to talk with them about their faith, and you would ask them about their salvation experience, their personal experience with Christ, most of them would have no idea what you were talking about. Uh, we are very familiar with that kind of language because we have grown up with it. And so it's second nature to us. But for so many, that kind of phraseology is meaningless. They wouldn't understand it at all. There is a fundamental premise all through the pages of Scripture. The premise has always been honored by evangelical conservative Christians. The premise may be stated in the following way. Anyone at any time, in any place, has the live option of a personal experience with Jesus Christ. And that because of that experience, they can be assured of the forgiveness of their sins, the acceptance and love of God, and the assurance that they will spend eternity in heaven with our Lord. Now, I'd like for us to go this morning to the scripture for our validation. That's the basis, of course, for our authority. In Acts 16, we find an account of the Apostle Paul's visit to Philippi and the account of three conversion experiences. I want us to think together about those this morning. First, as Paul approached the city of Philippi, on the Sabbath day, he found a group of very devout women that were worshiping together. Among them was a lady called Lydia. As these devout Jews worshiped God, Paul convincingly talked with them, reasoned with them, prayed with them, told them about how Christ was the Messiah that they had been waiting for all of their lives. And in that beautiful setting, these religious women, including Lydia, received Christ as their personal Savior, and they had a personal experience with him. They were gloriously saved. Second, that afternoon, Paul is in the city. He's in the marketplace area, an entirely different setting. He is confronted by a small slave girl who is emotionally distraught and disturbed. 
She is owned by some men who are exploiting her and using her as a fortune teller. For many days, she follows Paul and Silas around. She doesn't know what to make of them. They're talking about something that she doesn't know anything about, but she listens. She yells at them. She screams at them. She acts like a totally insane person. After a while, she comes, after hearing them speak so many times, she comes to the point of wanting a salvation experience, but not knowing how to go about it. One day through Paul, God works a miracle and heals this girl and makes her whole. She receives Christ as her Lord and Savior. The third experience finds Paul and Silas in jail. That's the text that we read this morning. The owner of the slave girl are now making no money because she's not out there uh, telling fortunes. And so they're really, really mad. They've lost their income stream. So they go to the authorities. They tell the police, these two preachers, Paul and Silas, they have ruined our lives. They have taken away our business. And we want you to do something about it. So they found Paul and Silas. They arrested them. And they put them in prison. Well, uh, this is is an unbelievable uh, sort of a situation. The owners of the slave girls are happy that these two preachers have gotten into a lot of trouble. Uh, They have these preachers in jail. As it nears midnight, the jail is covered by a hardened Roman pagan, a man that knows nothing about the Lord, a brutal man, he's sound asleep. An earthquake comes, and it shakes the jail. The walls of the jail fall in. The doors of the jail fall off. They completely come off of their hinges. This cruel pagan jailer is awakened by all of this stuff that is going on, and he comes down to see what's going on, He talks with Paul and Silas for a while, and then he is gloriously saved. Here are three completely different experiences. We can see through them that anyone, anytime, in any place can have a personal experience with Christ. First, we have a religious woman, Lydia, moral, sensitive, coming to Christ from a very strong religious background. She could have said many, many times, well, I just grew up in the church. Well, she did grow up in the church, but she was lost. She was unconverted. I don't care whether you're a Baptist or a Methodist or an Episcopalian or a Presbyterian or a Lutheran. It doesn't really matter what we are. Growing up in the church is not enough. One of the most tragic conversations that I have ever had was with a man that was about 45 years of age. He had gone to church all of his life, but he had never been converted. I was talking with him one day, and I asked him, I said, "Uh, have you ever uh, trusted in Christ? And and he said, "Uh, no. No. 
He was very blunt, very uh, direct. And I said, well, why have you gone to church all of your life? He said, well, my daddy was mean and he was cruel. And he told me if I didn't get up and get dressed and go to church, he was going to beat me. And I knew that he would. So I jumped right out of that bed and got up and got dressed and went to church. I went to church every Sunday. He said, as soon as I could leave there, I did. And it wasn't very many months later that I met a girl, and I started falling in love with her, and I married her. And after I married her, I found out that she was a mean and cruel woman. And guess what? She nagged me all the time and made me go to church every Sunday. I've been in church all my life. Uh, He could have said, I grew up in church. We have some people here today that perhaps have always gone to church. Somehow they have gone through the habit of it, not because of a personal relationship to Christ. I want you to think with me for a moment about the average church in America, the average Christian church. There's a few members there in this average church that are insensitive to the feelings of the people that are around them. There are a few of them that are two-faced. They'll lie to this group and then lie to that group. There are a few that are dishonest. There are a few that are having affairs. There are a few that have grown up in the church, yes, but they're lost. The vast, vast majority of our church membership have had a personal experience with Christ. And you can tell that by the way they live their life. There are no finer folks, I don't think, anywhere than the folks here that have come to serve and know Christ in a very personal way. In our scripture, this emotional distraught slave girl who is treated like an animal by the men that owned her, she too comes to Christ. There are so many who come to Christ in a very emotional experience. No religious background at all. Many times in revivals, I have stood down here at the front of the altar, and as I would preach and give the invitation... Uh, The people uh, at various times would uh, come forward. Some would be smiling, jumping in joy. Some would be crying uh, with their hearts uh, filled with joy but not knowing really how to express it. Some shouting. Have you ever had people shout down here when they came forward? I've seen that many times. Well, uh, you know, sometimes... Uh, people will come forward and they'll say this. I don't know how to do it, but I want to have Lord, the Lord as my Savior. And they, after just a brief conversation, they, after having the Holy Spirit working in their hearts, they can be gloriously saved. I was preaching a revival in San Antonio about 45 years ago. And the pastor of the church was sitting up on the platform beside me. And during one of the songs, he leaned over and pulled me over to him. And he said, "Uh, there's a girl here today that's a prostitute. And we've been trying to lead her to Jesus. 
He said, I'm going to be praying that you can get through to her and that she'll come and trust in Christ. Well, now, you know, when you tell that to a preacher, he's going to preach his heart out, you know, because he's going to try and do the best he can. And so that's what I did. I mean, I just did the, the best I possibly could. And that girl slipped out to the aisle and slipped down to the front. She looked a little bit like a wild person. She didn't have many clothes on. I remember that. Uh, she came forward and she, uh, she said, I, I want to be saved. And we had a conversation down at the front. And, and that church did a wonderful thing. That church took her in and taught her the ways of Jesus. It was a wonderful, wonderful thing. Thirdly, there's the Philippian jailer. An earthquake brings him to Christ. Probably nothing less than that could have. But it happened. An earthquake. Uh, many have come to Christ when they've had an earthquake in their own lives. You know, there are a lot of people today that live paycheck to paycheck. Uh, they have a whole lot of bills and and they can't get to the bank fast enough to get their check in so they can uh, pay off the bills that are uh, coming that day. And then if they lose their job, I mean, it just falls apart. The whole thing falls apart. And they don't know what to do. They are distraught. And they talk to their family. They talk to their friends. They talk to their neighbors. And perhaps in that process, somebody begins to talk to them about Jesus and tells them, you know, there's an eternal security with him and explains the whole thing, how it works, what it's all about. And they, through that uh, earthquake experience in their lives, come to Christ. There are those that lose their marriage. The person that they're married to wants to be with somebody else. And so all of a sudden, seemingly out of nowhere, they leave, and you're left thinking, my world is coming apart. How in the world could this happen to me? I'm living through an earthquake experience. Well, many times when that happens, friends gather about the person, and perhaps one of the friends is really committed to Christ, and they begin to talk to them about the sweet, sweet spirit that Jesus has and how he can give that to us and walk with us and talk with us and be with us every moment of every day. And through the earthquake experience of their marriage breaking up, they come to Christ. And then there are those whose health breaks down. They think perhaps that the curtains on their life are closing. And they know that people have talked to them all of their life about being a Christian. And they realize, like my mother did, on her deathbed, that she needed the Lord. Went down to Venice, went to the hospital where she was, and the doctor called, told her that day, said, uh, Mrs. Churchill, you're dying. And he called me on the phone. He said, uh, Dr. Churchill, your mother is dying, and you need to get down here quickly. So I got in the car, drove down there. When I got in there, I was determined 
that I was going to talk to her about Jesus. And I did. And you know what? She made one of those deathbed uh, conversion statements. She went through the sinner's prayer, the whole deal. You know what she did then? She lived three more years. (laughs) You know, we go through a lot of different kinds of earthquakes in our lives. They are shattered uh, in their personal upheaval, and yet, through whatever the experience, Through a friend, an associate, a working mate, they come to Christ. You see anyone of any background at any time, Lydia in the morning, the slave girl in the afternoon, the pagan jailer at midnight, anybody can come to Christ at any place. Lydia was in the worship service, the slave girl was in the marketplace, and the jailer was where the guardhouse once was. I'm back to my basic premise, and I say again, anyone, anywhere, anytime can come to Christ and that experience receive the forgiveness of their sins, the love and acceptance of God, and the assurance of an eternity with the Lord Jesus. Today is a wonderful day. We are blessed in so many ways. We got a rain earlier that we needed It's been so very, very dry. We have friends that are sitting beside us even this morning. We have a wonderful Lord that loves and treasures each one of us. It's just a wonderful day. It's nothing like a jail at midnight. But Paul and Silas were arrested. Their feet, their hands were in the stocks. They had been beaten. Guess what they're doing? They're singing hymns at midnight. Can you believe that? You've just been beaten. And they're singing hymns at midnight. Well, the earthquake comes. The jailer is awakened. He grabs his lantern. He runs toward where the prisoners are. He's thinking to himself, I'm sure they've all escaped by now. And when he sees that the walls have fallen down, he says, every one of them's gone. He begins to think quickly. He knows that if he loses one prisoner, the Roman authorities will kill him. And he begins to think, you know, I don't want those guys to kill me. He takes out his sword, and he is about to take his own life. And Paul yells out, don't kill yourself. We're all here. Come on down. He comes down. Uh, he, He doesn't know what in the world is going on. He asks the men that are there, he says, what's happening here? What's going on? He talks for a while with Paul, and then he asks this question. What must I do to be saved? Now, there is not a more serious question than that, that anyone could ever ask in their whole life. He was not asking to be saved from the earthquake. It was over. He was not asking to be saved from the Roman authorities because they uh, didn't have anything against him. All the prisoners were there. He was asking to be saved by a supernatural Lord. That's what he wanted. He wanted forgiveness of sin and affiliation with Christ. 
In order for a sick man to receive the medicine that he needs, he has to call out, I'm sick, please help me. For a person that doesn't know how to read, that uh, hasn't learned much about anything, in order for them to be helped, they have to call out and say, I can't read, would somebody teach me? A person that is lost, a man that is trying to find the Lord, he must be honest and say, I am not a Christian. What must I do to be saved? Let me close today with a quotation. On May the 24th, 1738, John Wesley was 35 years old. He wrote this in his diary. It's been read, I'm sure, by millions of people. This day... I really didn't want to go to church, but I had a heaviness in my heart all week, and I needed something done about that. They were having a special service at Aldersgate Street Chapel. It was sort of a a prayer meeting kind of a thing. One of the men in the church was reading Martin Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. It was about a quarter Till the hour. While he was describing what faith in Christ was all about, as he talked, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I trusted in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation, and there came an assurance within me that he had taken away all of my sin. Would you like to have an experience like that today, you will never have it by just growing up in the church. But you can have it if you will ask for the forgiveness of your sins and place your faith and trust in Jesus. Today, we want to have an invitation. We want to invite men and women, if there are boys and girls in the house, you as well. We want to ask you, if you've never trusted in Christ as your Lord, Anyone, anywhere, at any time can do it and be saved. We want to ask you to make a decision today. Not to keep putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. But come today taking a strong stand for Jesus. Perhaps you're here today, you've been coming for a good while, and you know that you need to be a part of some church family so that we can put our efforts together and have an influence for our Savior in the community. Come and join with us. Help us as we try and serve him. I'll be standing down at the front. If the Lord leads, you just slip out, come forward, and take a stand for Jesus this morning. Let's stand together as we sing.